Bow with me in prayer. God, we, to the best of our ability, praise you this morning. And to the best of our ability, we open our hearts to you so that when you speak through your word, the seed of your word would find a receptive place and that it might germinate and grow and produce fruit in our lives for your glory. We pray all this for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. This is the fourth in a series of messages that we are uh, talking about regarding all in, and I can't think of a better text to look at today than John 3.16 and following through 21. I memorized that text. Maybe you did too. I memorized it when I was five years old at a Lutheran summer camp in Minnesota, and I got for that memorization a leather-like Gideon New Testament Bible that my mom still has in her house. Um, Maybe you memorized it in the New Revised Standard Version. Maybe you memorized it in the King James. Here's the New Revised Standard Version and then the three verses following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Friends, our reading for this morning, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of God's Word. About 10 years ago, two sociologists from Baylor did a major study about religion in American life, and they found in general that 90% of Americans believed in God and 10% did not. That number has grown of those who don't believe over the last 10 years. But it's interesting in their study, which became a book entitled America's Four Gods, the attitudes regarding God have not changed. What they found is very uh, interesting to me. They found that 31% of Americans who believed in God believe in an authoritarian God, that God is active in our life, but also often in a punishing way. So after 9-11, remember when some Christian leaders said that 9-11 was punishment on America for America's sin. That's an authoritarian view of God. 31% of Americans believed that view. 24% believe in a benevolent God. God is active in this life, but God cares about us and loves us and is more like a doctor who gives us a prescription or a surgery sometimes, even though it's hard, for our own good. 19% of Americans, according to this research study, believe in a critical God that's not engaged in the world right now, But at the end of time, in eternity, after we die, we'll make things right. If you've been evil, you'll get punished. If you've been good and maybe we're poor or or suffering, you will be rewarded. Not now, but then. 
And then the final 26% of Americans believe in a distant God, that God was the creator of the world, set everything in motion, and then has left the building, is not engaged now. What's interesting in this study is 45% of Americans believe in a distant, not engaged God. 55% believe in an engaged God, either a judging God or a benevolent God. Which view of God do you hold? What do you believe about God? It is amazing to me the misconceptions of God that are clarified by John 3.16. Have you ever taken a real close look at that text before? It might just help you be all in. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, it starts with God. It's not first about us, it's first about God. Many of us believe, some of us believe, that we have to crawl on our hands and feet on glass to make ourselves go up to God to earn God's favor, saved by works. Actually, this text from John 3.16 says that we don't have to climb up to God. God climbs down to us. The initiative is not with us first. The initiative is with God. God makes the first move. We just make the responsive move. Even though in the relationship between God and us, we're the cause of the disunity. Even though we're the cause of the disunity, we're the cause of the break, God reaches for us to reunite us with Him. God starts with God. One of my favorite comics is Ray Romano. Sherry and I, when we were out east in seminary, got to see him a couple times in a comedy club just outside of Princeton. He's the guy who did Everybody Loves Raymond, remember? Afterwards, he's done other pieces, but he wrote a book called Everything and a Kite, which is very enjoyable. What surprised me about that book was to find out that Raymond is very insecure, that Ray has feelings of inadequacy. He doesn't think he measures up. He says, it's as basic as when I try to get a Coke and put a dollar in the pop machine, I think the machine is against me. He says, I I take a very crisp dollar bill, I check the edges, I put it in face up as the instructions say I'm supposed to do, it is machine ready, and then it takes it just for a minute, and it teases me, and then it spits it back out. He said, every time. He says, I turn it over sometimes just to see if I've got it backwards, and it'll take it for a minute, and then it'll spit it back out. He says, intellectually, I know that the machine is not against me, but just in my broken self, I don't measure up. But if we look at John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, God reaches out to us. It's not about our adequacy or inadequacy. God reaches out for us. In fact, if you take that image of Ray Barone, Jesus is the billion-dollar bill. And we're the pop machine. And God puts the bill into us, and too often we're the ones who spit Christ back out. It's not God that's angry at us. It's us 
that for some reason struggle to have Jesus in our lives. God so loved is the second word. Some of us grew up in families where we were told, churches that we were told that God basically because of our sin is angry at us most of the time. God isn't loving toward us. God is wrathful toward us. God is hopping mad at us. When I was in seminary, I remember a, a friend going through the same program who was from the southeast, and he, he said he grew up in a, in a kind of a judgmental God uh, environment, and he remembers being at a fair, and there was a preacher that was preaching, and the preacher took a long, tall, dirty glass of water, and he said, this is you, and you're filthy from the inside out. And then he took a hammer and he said, this is the righteousness of God. And God, because of God's righteousness, must judge sin and must judge you because you're a sinner. And he puts his hand back with the hammer and as he's throwing it down, a miracle happens. He slips in a metal pot and so the hammer hits the pot head on. It makes an incredible clanging noise. It dents the, the metal pot, but he says at the end, this is Jesus, the pot, who took what you deserved so that you, the dirty cup, could live. Maybe you heard an idea, something like that, as you were growing up in your family or your church, but think about that for a minute. It makes God a hammer. It makes Jesus a bent and broken metal pot, and it makes you a dirty cup that even after what Jesus did, the cup is still dirty. But that's not what John 3.16 says. It says, God so loved the world that he gave. According to Jesus, Jesus didn't change the mind of an angry God he reveals the mind and the heart of a loving God. The motivation of God is not anger or judgment, according to Jesus. It's love. God so loved the world. Some of us have a misconception about God's love that it is narrowly targeted, that it is overly selective, and that it is just for us. Do you think God's love is only for your family? Only for your school? Only for your company? Only for your ethnic group? Only for your political party, only for your, our nation, if you do, you have a too narrow view of God's love according to Jesus. God so loved the world, and the Greek word there is cosmos, which not only indicates the place, the world, but the people in the world, and not just the righteous people, but even the heathens. God loves the world, all of us. Arthur Schlesinger, who died seven or eight years ago, was a pretty famous American historian, social critic, 
He wrote about 15 years ago about that the world is becoming more and more nationalistic, more and more sectarian, and more and more fundamentalist. And his prediction is coming true. He said, in America, it is the disuniting of America and the world. Isn't that true? He said, it used to be that we would ask in the world or Americans, what's best for us? And us includes everybody in the United States or us includes everybody in the world. Now, according to Schlesinger, what we ask is, what's good for me and what's good for mine? My group only. According to Jesus, that's not good enough. God so loved the world. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know, one of our 12 goals at MDPC right now is that because Houston is the most diverse city in America and the number one U-Haul destination for the last eight years in a row, that MDPC should more accurately reflect the diversity of Houston. Our membership is not as, as diverse as our staff is, and even though our membership works with people from around the world in oil and gas and other things, when we come and worship, we're more segregated. It's the most diverse congregation I've ever served. But it's not as diverse yet as Houston. And I want you to know, as the senior pastor here, I am behind fully our church becoming more diverse. Not only because Jesus said, God so loved the world, but in Revelation it said, at the end of time, all the ethnos, all the ethnic groups are going to be worshiping before the throne together. And if that's the case at the end, shouldn't we practice that more and more now? You know, we have a Fuente, a Spanish-speaking congregation that meets in our chapel at 1115. They're more and more becoming part of MDPC. We're becoming more and more part of them. We're one, but it's taking effort. Did you know also that at 6 p.m. on Sunday night in our chapel, there's a Brazilian congregation that is renting space right now. The service is in Portuguese. But the English-speaking second and third generation people from the Brazilian congregation, while they were at another church, found their second and third generation people going to an English-speaking Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or Episcopal church. Now that they're here at MDBC, they have their Portuguese at Sunday night and the, the rest of their congregation is worshiping at one of our English-speaking congregations if they want that. And they don't want to stay that way. They don't want to just be a rental. They've said to us, how can we be just part of MDPC? And how can MDPC just be part of us? And our session is talking about that. We're discussing that. And the soonest it could happen is by January of 2019. That we'll not only just have a Fuente congregation, but we'll have a Brazilian congregation. Did you know that on September 29th, Saturday night, in our fellowship hall, they have a Noche de Sabor evening. So it's food from our Fuente congregation who are people from all through Central and South America. And it's food and it's fun and it's dancing. And everybody from the English-speaking congregation is invited. If you haven't been there yet, what's wrong with you? <laughs> the food, I mean, it is really good. 
And guess who's going to be part of that this year? The Brazilian congregation. What if in another year an African congregation came to us from Kenya or from South Africa or from Eritrea and they said, we want to be part of MDBC. We want MDBC to be part of us. God so loved the world. I'm for it. Are you for it? God so loved the world that he gave. Love is not love. Care is not care unless it gives. Unless it sacrifices. Unless it stretches. Unless it searches for the lost. Jesus even described his reason for being was, I came to seek and to save the lost. God so loved the world that he sent the Son who gave. Do you remember early summer, end of June, beginning of July, the 12 Thai soccer boys, players, and their coach, made it 13, who were in a cave after a tournament, and it was such a massive cave, and because of flooding, they got in, but then they couldn't get out. And we watched with bated breath around the world for the 14 days it took for them to be rescued. And the rescue was not without giving. The rescue was not without loss. There was a Thai Navy SEAL who lost his life to try to save these 13. Remember? It was an international rescue team that got these 13 out and they put life and limb at risk to do it. God so loved the world that he gave. Part of that international team I read were gophers from Mexico. Are you familiar with the gophers from Mexico? I first heard about them in 2010. January 12th, Haiti had a terrible earthquake, remember? And Port-au-Prince was just in rubble. And a group of Mexican rescuers called the Gophers came into that situation and saved a lot of people. I read in a Christian Century article in March of 2010 that a woman named Ina Zizi wouldn't have been alive without the Gophers. She was in a four or five story building, it collapsed. At first, she started yelling, trying to see if anybody could hear her and help her, and then she got hoarse. She couldn't uh, yell anymore. She was talking to a priest somewhere else in the rubble who had talked back to her, and then he didn't talk anymore. Then she just started talking to God. Seven days in the rubble. Can you imagine? Without any water, without any food, becoming more and more convinced that no one would be able to get to her because she was way down in the middle of this terrible collapse. And then the gophers came. The gophers have become stars and international uh, favorites because they don't just stand on the edge of a collapse and pick debris off from the edge like an onion what they do is they bore from the edge down to the center and the middle, propping out a, a tunnel that is precarious with the debris that they find along the way. And then they, to risk of life and limb, go through that tunnel to the center and send out side shafts just to see if anybody is still alive. 
Why would they do that? In this article from Christian Century called Out of the Rubble, it said in 1985 in a neighborhood in Mexico City where they lived, there was an earthquake and many of their family, many of their friends were trapped and they reached out to the Mexican government of the time for help and the Mexican government said, we can't help, we don't have any experts. And so they made a commitment, they were going to become experts and by trial and error, they were going to try to save as many as they could and then after 1985, they would get the training from the best people around the world to be experts going forward and they've become that and now when there's a problem of an earthquake around the world, they go. Can you imagine if you're a spouse or a parent or a child of one of those men that go? You're sending them knowing there's a chance they might never come back. But they do it because no one was there to help them. They're a little bit like God. Not the authoritarian one. Not the critical version. Not the distant one. But according to Jesus, the Son of God, the real one. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Indeed, God did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Maybe you're part of that 10 or 15% that doesn't believe in God. Maybe Jesus' explanation of John 3.16 is enough for you to move from non-belief to belief in God. Maybe today's the day. Or maybe you've been a believer in God, part of that near 90%. But let me ask you, which version have you believed in? According to Jesus, we're invited to believe in the God who loved the world that he gave. And our response, according to Jesus, is to believe, to trust, to accept our acceptance, to say yes to God reaching out for us. To be an Inu Zizi who allows the gophers to pull her out on a plywood stretcher so that she could have life again, so that we could have life again. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is your moment. Maybe it's here and now. Maybe it's do or die, not do or die physically. But maybe it's do or die emotionally. Maybe it's do or die spiritually. Do you believe in the God Jesus describes? Don't leave here today without resolving that once and for all. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much 
for clarifying our misperceptions, misconceptions about your Father. Thank you for straightening things out that you know your Father loves, not hates the world, loves, not as angry at the world. Angry at sin, yes, has to deal with sin, yes, but loves the cosmos, the place and the people, all of them, including us, so much that you were sent. May we receive that gift. May we be rescued by that act. And may our life be different because of that sacrificial giving. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.